Amen. Thank you. At this time, our young friends can be dismissed to junior church. That's grades one through six. And if you have a young person with you today, grades one through six, and you would like to accompany them to junior church, you are always welcome to do so. In 1862, Emily Dickinson wrote, The heart wants what it wants. The heart wants what it wants. It sounds poetic, doesn't it? And it's been used in different poems and repeated in songs since. But if that was true, and there's nothing you could do about your heart, you'd be in trouble, wouldn't you? I'd be in trouble because my heart tells me to eat an entire ice cream cake. Often. My heart never tells me to eat kale or spinach, or rice cakes. No, it, it never does that. And so if I was stuck with whatever it was that my heart wanted, it would lead me down a, a pretty destructive path. How can someone change what their heart wants? Can we change what our heart wants? Often, if you're like me, you know what's right, and you know what's best for you, whether it's in the realm of what I just mentioned with your, your diet and exercise, or whether it's on a spiritual level. You know what it is that you ought to be doing, but you don't really want to do it. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever been in that place where you knew what you were supposed to do, but you just didn't want to? Maybe you knew you were supposed to forgive, but you didn't want to forgive. Maybe you knew you were supposed to be a peacemaker, and you didn't want to. You knew you needed to humble yourself, and you didn't want to. You knew that you needed to tell the truth, but you didn't want to tell the truth. You knew you needed to step out by faith and trust God, but you didn't want to. You wanted the comfortable, the convenient, the easy, the cheap way to do it. And that's oftentimes what we do want. But that's not going to get us where we need to go. God has called his children to a higher way of living. He's called us to a higher way of living. And so, does God, does following God, always have to feel like, quote, eat your vegetables? Did you have trouble eating your vegetables as a kid? I don't know if you were like that. My parents, they mostly gave us food we liked, but my mother would not budge on beets. Not good beets. Those beets from a can. You know what I'm talking about? And I asked her when I was growing up, I said, why did you make us eat those? I said, you must really love beets. And she's like, no, I hated them. But I had them eat them as a kid, and so do you. Is that what it's like to follow God? Is that what it's like to have a close relationship with God? We just have to hold our nose and do these things that we know are right, but we don't want to? How can we get our heart to want the right things? Well, Jesus tells us an intriguing truth, one that seems backwards, honestly, from what I would have thought. But I've seen it play out in my life vividly and in the lives of others. So let's look together in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 33. Luke chapter 12 and verse number 33. The word of God says this, sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I ask that you would bless it now. Be in our midst. May your spirit have free course among us. Give us ears to hear. Help us to have good soil that we might receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus Christ is openly preaching and teaching, performing miracles, traveling from place to place by the time we come to our passage. 
and he had just been surrounded by a bunch of critics when he was invited to a, a home to have a meal with some Pharisees and the guests of the Pharisees. And now we find him afterwards surrounded by a crowd of people, so many people, that they were really stepping all over each other, pushing and shoving, trying to get to where they could hear what Jesus was saying. And he's speaking about the anxiety that oftentimes really preoccupies every man and woman in this life, about how are we going to pay the bills, where are we going to get food to eat, how are we going to keep ourselves warm, the raiment that we need, the clothing that we need. He was talking with them because they were consumed with earthly matters. And that's the context in which we find him saying in verse number 33 of Luke 12, where he says, sell that ye have and give alms. He says, I want you to sell your, your earthly treasure, the things that you have, your possessions on this earth. I want you to disconnect with it. I want you to let it go. I don't want your heart to be set on it anymore. And what I want you to do is I want you to give alms. Now, alms was something that in the Bible times people would give as a generous act of giving money to somebody who was in need. Oftentimes, there would be beggars who were disabled in some way and unable to work or to care for themselves. They didn't have social programs back then like we do now. And the only way that they could get anything was to get alms of people that would walk by them and take pity on them and show mercy and give them help when they needed help. If you've been with us on Wednesday evenings, we've been going through the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we saw about how a man who was lame for 40 years, it seems like, from his birth, was outside the gate of the temple begging and asking for alms. He was hoping that people would give him money so that he could have the food that he needs and perhaps be a little bit less of a burden on the family or those that were moving him around and caring for him. Give alms. Generously help. He says here, and give, excuse me, provide yourself bags which wax not old. Have you ever had a hole in your pocket, but you didn't realize it? I had a, a weird situation in which I put something in my pockets of a dress coat that I had. It was a long dress coat, and the lining of the pocket gave way, but at the bottom of the coat, it was still, of course, hemmed. And so I had all of my belongings inside the bottom of my coat, and only a hole this big to try and push them back through in order to get them out. My keys were in there. It was, it was truly obnoxious when that happened. How does that happen? Well, after time of putting things in and out of your pockets, your keys are in there. Before you know it, the thread gives way, the cloth gives way, and now there's a hole in it, and you can't hold on to it anymore. And so if you didn't have a coat, if it was just a normal pocket, and you were walking, or a normal bag, and you were walking, and you didn't realize it, the things that were in the bag, perhaps the money that you were carrying, the coins that you were carrying, they would fall out as the bag got old. And you would lose those things a little bit at a time. And maybe you wouldn't notice right away that the coins were falling out. But by the time it happened and you got wherever you were going, you would realize that you now have less than you thought you did. You thought you'd have it all the way through. But as the bag became old, as it became insecure... He's warning here that what ends up happening is that when you put your treasure on this earth, it's like a bag that has a hole in it. It is slowly draining away. It says, A treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, nor moth corrupteth. He's saying, I want you to think about your treasure. And you have treasure, you have possessions, you have valuable things here on this earth, but if you leave them only poured into the things on this earth, you will eventually lose them. He gives the example of a thief 
that comes through trying to steal something. If you've ever been pickpocketed, it's a horrible feeling. I don't know if you've experienced that, if you've been perhaps in a large city. I remember I was traveling um, in Mongolia one time on missions work uh, with Dr. Keen and some other people. And it was very interesting because people would come up and try and pickpocket you. And if they messed up and you caught them, they're just kind of like, oh, sorry. And they go on their way. Here, if somebody tried to, to do that, you might get into a, a fist fight. It might turn into a mugging. You might call the police, but there it's like, oh, I didn't get him. I guess I'll move on to somebody else. Very strange. But it's a terrible feeling to feel like it's gone. It's gone. But that's what happens with the things of this world. Thieves can break through and steal. And it's not always a thief that you think of being pickpocketed. It could just be the economy tanking. It could just be thinking that something was a good investment and it turned out not to be depreciation the things of this world are falling apart how many of you ever drove a brand new car off of the lot you ever had that experience that brand new car how is it now do you even still have it you were so thrilled when you got it and you took such good care of it and you kept it clean and you no eating in this car and you parked it a space or two away in the parking lot to make sure that nobody hit their door into your car you remember doing that and then you notice the first scratch on it and you're like how did this happen and you lift your thumb and you start rubbing on it hoping it's going to come right off and then before you know it another winter goes by of cleveland salt and you start to notice a spot of rust and then for the first time the check engine light comes on doesn't it the check engine light comes on and it it starts to fall apart and then i just heard someone talking about it today who was it talking about it today was it barb I think Barb was talking about today. She's like, oh, they want me to put a bunch of money into my car to fix it up. It's not working today. He said, but then they looked underneath and they said, oh, the whole frame is rusted. You need a new car. <laughs> That's what it means when it talks about when the moth corrupteth. See, we don't, I mean, you, you probably do remember, if you don't do it yourself, people putting mothballs in with the clothes that were for the winter season, perhaps, that were going away. How many of you, you saw that or you did that or maybe you still do that, right? It has a, it's a lovely smell to it. <laughs> lovely smell to it. You say, why? That was a bigger deal back then because the moth would actually eat through their clothing and they would end up with holes when they would take out their garments again. And so there's a warning that Jesus is bringing here because these people were so worried about the things of this earth and having enough of the things of this earth. And he says, you need to disconnect from all of that because if you don't, you're eventually going to lose it. But there is a better place to store it. There is a safe haven to put your money. He says in this verse that you can provide yourself a treasure in heaven that does not fail, it will never fade away, where no thief approaches, where no moth corrupts in first john chapter 2 in verse number 15 let me read this for you first john chapter 2 in verse number 15 love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Here we're told that you're either going to put your love toward the Father, or you're going to put your love towards the things of this world. You can't have both. You've got to choose one or the other. 
You've got to choose one or the other. And here's what we're told. The world is fading away. It's expiring. I'm a little bit paranoid about the expiration date on food. Just a little bit paranoid. Every time I get out the creamer to put in my coffee, even if the date says that it's still fine, I always smell it. If the lunch meat, I mean, I, I, have, to, I have to give it the once over before I, I don't, I know, I know it doesn't magically fall apart after that date. But I'm telling you right now, the half and half in the creamer at the coffee station expires today. And I was suspicious. <laughs> because eventually it's going to turn rotten and be of no use to anybody. It's fading away. Like many things in this world, it's good for a time and then it's served its purpose. And you can't, you can't use it anymore. The, the riches of this world, the things of this world, only have their time and place while we're here. But there are eternal things. There are things in the heavens that last forever. And that is where our heart needs to be. Look in Colossians, would you, chapter 3. It's a passage that I couldn't help but think of when I was reading Jesus' words. In Colossians chapter 3, here the Apostle Paul writing these inspired words to the Christians in Colossae. He says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. I think the first question we need to ask here is, are you risen with Christ? Are you risen with Christ? Has there ever been a time when by faith you have believed that the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to this earth, died for your sins, and rose from the grave? If there has never been a time when you, by faith, have asked Jesus to forgive your sins and to be your Savior, then you are not yet risen with Christ. The wonderful news is that he extends that invitation to have your sins forgiven, to have a new life, not just in heaven, but here and now, as the Spirit of God comes in and begins to change you, he is asking here, saying, are you risen with Christ? If you are, certain things should be different in your life. Certain things should be different. If you're here this morning and, and perhaps you're a member of a church or maybe you're even a member of this church, but you couldn't say for sure that you have faith in God that you know has guaranteed you a home in heaven, you can get that settled today. You can get that settled today. But if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Christ rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, he showed himself alive to hundreds of people proving that the resurrection was real. We have eyewitness written accounts that historians put their stamp of approval on. If the inspiration of the word of God is not something you believe in, at least the histories verify it. But we do believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And as the Lord Jesus showed himself alive, then he ascended to heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, where he prays for you and I. He intercedes on our behalf, where he liveth evermore. And what this passage is telling us is that if Christ has risen, and we are risen in him, then we should care for the things of Christ, we should care for the things of heaven, we should seek those things, we should think after them, we should desire after them. Verse number two. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. The things that you think about, the things that you long after, the things that you're excited about, are they the things of only this world or are they of the things of heaven? Are they of the things of God? 
Is it only the earthly things here? Fame, fortune, success, approval of others, comfort, pleasure, safety, achievement. If that is all that fills your heart, then you are living a far less life than what God has saved you to live. And not only that, but you're putting your heart on things that are expiring. They're fading. They're not going to last forever. One of my favorite examples of this is Chuck E. Cheese. The closest thing that I, as a Baptist, believe to purgatory. <laughs> we don't believe in purgatory, but Chuck E. Cheese makes me feel like it. And when you go in there, you get tickets. Now I think they actually put the, the points onto your card on certain Chuck E. Cheese, but you used to get tickets. And you would have to take those tickets and take them to a prize counter where, where the person who must have done something terrible to deserve that job. I don't know why that person is there, but if you've ever watched a child trying to spend their 37 tickets and they say, well, I want that. Well, you don't have enough tickets for that. But I, well, I want that. Nope, you don't have enough tickets for that. What about that one? No. Nope. Oh, you, you, you do have enough for that. And then they're like, well, you have five left. And then they have to pick from the... I mean, it's miserable as a parent watching it, let alone the person who has to do it all day long. But those tickets that they worked so hard for on skee-ball and other wonderful games... Skee-ball, by the way, is a wonderful game. But the things that they work hard on and they get those tickets, if they don't spend them there to get something that they can take home with them, the tickets become worthless. The tickets become worthless. There's nothing you can do with them anymore. Once you take them out of Chuck E. Cheese, they are wasted paper if you didn't take something home with you. In the same way, if we don't take the treasure that we've been given here on earth, our time, our energy, our efforts, our money, and we don't spend it on the things of God which last forever, we lose the opportunity to do so. If we set our affection on things above, on heavenly things, then we're thinking about, well, what pleases God? What honors God? Things like sharing the good news with other people that they might know Christ. Helping other believers to grow in their faith in Jesus. Serving people. Bringing glory to God through doing it. Giving to those that are in need or to the work of God. Worshiping, rejoicing in the Lord, finding our satisfaction in Him. These are the things that last, that have no expiration date. And in verse 34, back in Luke 12, we, we find the answer and how we can redirect our heart. Because you might say to me, yes, pastor, I know what you're talking about. I don't want to love the things on earth. I want to love the things in heaven. I understand the things on earth are passing away. I understand the things in heaven are safe from thief and moth where they can't be stolen and nothing can go wrong with them. I understand that one day I'll enter in to an abundance that God has for me. I understand that, but I still don't want it. I still don't want it. I know what's right, but I still don't want it. Is there any way to shift the direction of my heart? Verse 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That your heart, that immaterial part of you, the part of you that's really you, that's going to last forever. Here, we're told that there's a connection between your heart and your treasure, between your heart and your money, between your heart and your energy, between your heart and your time. And I would always have thought it was the other way around. Anybody with me? I would have thought it was the other way around. I would have thought that wherever my heart was, that's where I'd spend my money. That's where I'd spend my time. That's where I'd spend my effort. 
That's what I'd spend my thought life on. Wherever my heart was, that's where it would go. You know what I found? It's the opposite. It's the opposite. When I spend my money on something, when I spend my time on something, when I spend my energy on something, my heart goes after it. My heart goes after it. Imagine for a second that we were going to start a, a couple of businesses. Let's see, Dave, you and I, we're going to start um, ice cream shops specializing in ice cream cake. And uh, we need some capital to get started. We need some capital to get started. And Pastor Steve, he's got all the capital that we need. Right? But here's what happens. He says, Pastor Bill... I'm going to pray for you in your business, and I'll frequent it often. But I'm going to give Dave $50,000 to help him start. You rat. <laughs> but he's going to do it. Now, he might ask me, how's your ice cream store going every once in a while? But whose do you think he's going to look in on the most? Who's he going to care about the most? Who, who's he going to prompt people to go to the most when he says after church let's all go out and get ice cream i know a place where we can go where is he going he's going to dates why because he's invested in it he's invested in it now he has a stake in it and you see when you and i spend not just money but our time and energy into something we want to see it move forward we want to see it succeed and so we're told here that our heart will follow wherever our treasure is. So then let me ask you the question, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Don't give me the name of the bank that you use. That's not just what we're talking about today. It's what are you spending the things you value on in this life? The things you only have a limited amount of, the things that perhaps you'll never get again. Opportunity, energy, effort, time, money, surely. Where are you spending those things? You say, well, I'm not sure. Well, if you could go and audit every hour that you spend on something throughout a week, what would it show us? If you could somehow see what you put your energy to and then what you leave your leftovers for, what would it tell us? If you could look and see, well, where, where does my money go? Where is my thought life most of the time? you will find where your treasure is. And it may answer some questions for us as to why our hearts don't like it. Why our hearts don't like what we think they ought to like. Treasure on earth, we will be preoccupied with earthly things. Treasure in heaven, we'll be preoccupied with heavenly things. There's a man who is referred to as the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler comes running to Jesus and wants to know how he can have eternal life. Mark chapter 10, verse number 17. Speaking of Jesus here, it says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. 
odd thing for Jesus to say. Here, a man comes, and as we read in parallel passages, we find out he's a young man. We find that he's a man of means, that he's well-respected in society. From his own testimony, he's a moral man, but he comes and he runs and he kneels before Jesus as Jesus is traveling. And he calls him good master, which would have been something like honored teacher. He wasn't recognizing him as the Lord. And he called him good. And he wants to know, what should I do that I can inherit eternal life? Because though he is successful in whatever business he's in, though he's well thought of in the community, and though he is a moral man by anybody's best guess, he still feels like there's something missing. And so he comes to Jesus trying to find out what might be this one thing that I'm missing because I'm doing all the things that people say should make me a success, but I feel like I'm not. And Jesus said, why are you calling me good? He's asking him in an indirect way, are you recognizing me as God? Because he said, there's only one that's good. That's the Lord. But he continues on and tells the man in verse 19, thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. What is this that Jesus brings up to him? He brings up what you might call the horizontal commandments. Of the Ten Commandments, some of them have to do with God, and some of them have to do with how we treat fellow mankind. The horizontal ones are how we treat in our other mankind. Our vertical ones are our relationship with the Lord. And so Jesus, knowing where this man's heart was, he asked him about, well, how do you treat other people according to the law? And he brings up these specific commandments. And in verse number 20, the rich young ruler answers and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Wow, all of them? From the time you were young? It's pretty amazing. Do you think he observed all of them? Probably not, but it sounds like he really made an effort. And he says, I've done all of that, but I feel like it's not enough. Verse 21, then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, by the way, what a powerful statement. What an intriguing thing that Jesus says that he loved him. He saw this man trying to do the best that he could, but he had missed God in the midst of all of his success and all of his religion. All of what he did, earthly, checked all the boxes. But there was something heavenly that this man was missing. And Jesus even says it outright. One thing thou lackest, in verse 21, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. He says, this is what you have to do. You're still missing one thing. You need to sell everything that you have. And you need to, to give it to the poor. And you need to follow me. Why didn't he just say, follow me? Because there was something on this earth that was keeping him from pursuing heavenly aims. There was something that already owned his heart. There was something that was already controlling him. And we find in the next verse, verse 22, and he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. He ran to meet Jesus. He bowed before Jesus. He tried to do his best, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus wasn't everybody's favorite person at this time. This man, by coming to Jesus, was taking a big social risk, but he was willing to do it anyway because he felt like he wasn't right. And Jesus loved him for it. 
But when Jesus told him, you need to let go of this, he couldn't do it, wouldn't do it. He was sad and he went away because he had great possessions. He had a lot of treasure. He had a lot of treasure, but only on this earth. Only on this earth. Is it wrong to have riches on this earth? No, if the Lord blesses them, blesses you and gives them to you, if he prospers you through righteousness, there's nothing wrong with it. But there's a danger that comes with it that people that don't have money don't have. And that danger is trusting that the money is all that you need, that the riches will take care of you, that they will be your protection. And if, if you don't have that money, you don't, you don't suffer. You say, I'm not tempted with that because I've never had enough money to trust him. Well, the rich young ruler, he had it. And it kept him from following God. His heart, excuse me, his treasure was all on this earth. And so his heart was all on this earth. Pretty good moral man, but he went away not following Jesus. How do we apply this? What do we take away from this? First of all, we need to connect our heart and our treasure. Connect your heart and your treasure. What you do with what you value has an undeniable hold on your heart. What you do with what, you're va- with what you value has an undeniable hold on your heart. How you spend your treasure, your time, your energy, your money, your thoughts and goals, that will determine your heart's direction, whether for good or for ill. Do you want to love God with all of your heart? Then we must spend our treasure on the things of God. Can't get your heart to stop loving things that you know are sinful, we need to check where our treasure is. If we spend our treasure on the things of earth, again, we can expect to be preoccupied with failing, fading earthly matters. And that is a bad investment. But if we treasure the things of heaven, we can expect our heart to follow suit with eternal heavenly matters. And so that brings us to our second point, which is to store up treasure in heaven. To store up treasure in heaven. And you say, how in the world do you store up treasure in heaven? Perhaps you've had experience in sending money to people, but you've never gone to Western Union and found that you could send your money on to heaven. And you've never done an electronic bank transfer where you could send it into Jesus' bank account. So you wonder, what does it even mean to store up treasure in heaven? This means that you're going to take the things on this earth that you value, your time and your energy and your money, and you're going to put them into an eternal endeavor. Instead of a temporary thing, you're going to put them into an eternal thing. You're going to invest in eternity. You're going to spend your time on the things that please God and bring him glory and that he promises will be reward for it. You're going to spend not just your time, but your energy on it, your effort on it. You're not just going to do that. You're going to spend your money on it. And when we find ourselves doing that, being generous to others and supporting God's work and energy on the things of God, we're active in these things. We're praying, we're reading our Bible, we're involved in the things of God. This will move your heart towards God. This will move your heart. Once you've sacrificed for something, now you're committed to it. Once you've given of yourself to something, you're committed to it. This past fall... I was privileged with the opportunity to travel overseas to visit one of our missionary works. And it was not the easiest of trips as far as getting there. We went to a rural place in India. 
In fact, we went to a rural place in India, and then we went to a place that they considered rural, <laughs> which tells you something. We took planes to get there. We took roads over mountains with giant potholes, and uh, it, was, it was not an easy thing. The food was not easy. There was sickness involved in all of it. There was great expense. Uh, that our church family put up and others who went with us to make sure that it happened. And when we got to the mountain where the city of Ukrul sits, we saw some of the most wonderful people serving the Lord, who with very little were doing a whole lot. And I want you to know that though God has not called me there as a missionary, there's a part of my heart there. And I'm very interested in what goes on in Ningwon Kumra's ministry. What goes on at the Ukrul Baptist Church and the Ukrul Baptist Theological College? I'm very interested in the missionary efforts that are sent out of that church. Isn't that wild? We went to the rural place of the rural place in India where they are now sending out missionaries into an even more rural place, crossing the border into places in Myanmar where there's not even electricity and people are, are living in huts. It's wild. But I'll tell you what, I text those people through WhatsApp and we pray for one another. I, I know uh, their names of their wives. I know the names of their children, though I can't remember all of them at one time. I have a list of them. I, I get contacted by other people in the ministry I've made connections with there. And so when they have a need, I'm quick to pray for it. When I pray for missionaries, they're at the top of the list for me. Not that I don't love our other missionaries, not that I'm exci not excited about our other missionaries, but there's something that happens when you give of yourself into an endeavor, and it ties you to it. Marvin, how do you feel about the Philippines? How do you feel about the Philippines? Wonderful people there. When we have a missionary from the Philippines give a testimony, or when we pray for them as the missionary of the week, does it do something special for you? Why is that? Because you... You were there. You traveled there. And, if you, and there were many other people that have had a chance to travel to these places. Pastor Jenkins, it seemed like everybody that came from the Philippines, he wanted to take on because he had been there. And it touched his heart. And, he, and the, though missionaries aren't actively going to Haiti, I know his heart's there too because he would go there all the time. You say, why am I bringing this up? When you give of yourself in a sacrificial way towards something, your heart follows after it. Your heart follows after it. Finally, thirdly, we need to disconnect from earthly treasure. We need to disconnect from it. We cannot do both. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is cash. You cannot serve God and money. We cannot both love the Father and love the world. The two are opposed to one another. And so we're going to have to make a choice about earthly or heavenly treasure. But see, the problem is earthly treasure is right in our faces, isn't it? Heavenly treasure, you sort of don't see it. I can pull out my phone right now and I can tell you how much is in my earthly bank account, but I can't pull up an app and tell you what's in my heavenly bank account. I don't see that all the time. And a lot of it's not just money, it's the effort and energy and the prayers and everything that you put into something. And so that seems distant. Doesn't that seem distant? But the earthly treasure, it's staring you right in the face. Not only is it staring you right in the face because you can see it, people are telling you all the time this is what you need. Right? 
you need to achieve more. You need to do more. You need to be healthier and younger and you need a better job and a bigger car and a, a bigger home and you need all of these things. You need this vacation and you need that security and you need all of it. And everyone else around us, it feels like at times, though it's not always true, it feels like everyone else around us, that's what they're running after. That's where their, their treasure is, so that's where their heart is. And so it looks like we're going the wrong way. We're going the wrong way. We're walking and, and the crowd is flooding this way and we're going this way. And you can sometimes feel like maybe I'm going in the wrong direction. And then we have moments of doubt. Is, is all of this worth it? You know, I feel like my budget would be a whole lot easier if instead of tithing to the Lord and giving that 10%, if I just kept it for myself, because times are tight. And, and you know what? If I didn't spend so much time serving God and being at the church, I might have extra energy to actually get a good night's sleep for once. Or maybe I could pick up some side work to help with those bills that are, that's going on. Or I could pursue this thing that I would... And we start to think, I wonder if it's really all worth it in the end. And so we're very much tempted by the things that are around us. But here's what you have to remember. It's expiring. It's expiring. It's fading. Eventually, it's going to be worthless. Like that wonderful feeling that you had when you drove your car off the lot for the first time to that terrible feeling that you had when you traded it in and you're like, they only gave me how much for my trade-in? Or you sell it and you're like, I thought I was going to get more out of that thing. That's what it's going to be like with all of the earthly treasures if we just leave them here on earth and we miss our opportunity. What we need to do, because soon our opportunity will be passed when this life is over, we need to disconnect from these things and say, no, I am living for something higher. I'm living now for more than that. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment? I want to thank you for being here today. In our church, we have what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that God has spoken to you about. And that's what we pray for when we gather. We pray that God speaks to us through his word, through the music, through his spirit in our hearts. And I'm not sure what the Lord spoke to you about, but perhaps you're here today and you might say to yourself, I'm not sure that I'm risen with Christ. I'm not sure that I have eternal life. I'm not sure that heaven is my home. I, I'm a pretty good person. I'm trying my best. But overall, I, I don't know that I could go to heaven and say I deserve to be here. If that's where your mind is at, friend, I want you to know that today you can have that worry, that doubt, that problem settled. You can have that settled. The Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, became a man without ceasing to be God, and he lived a sinless life on this earth. And because he had no sins to pay for of his own, and because of his great love for you and I, even though we hadn't been born yet, he looked down through the hallways of history to know that you, ma'am, you, sir, would be born. And just like he loved the rich young ruler, he loved you. And so he stepped into your place to die for you and as you. There was a price that needed to be paid for sin, and Jesus paid it. And now you and I, through that door that Jesus has opened, can have the forgiveness of sins. We can have new life with him, like Jesus experienced that eternal, that new life when he rose from the dead. You and I can have the same. So that when this life is over, 
we know for sure that heaven's our home. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to call you out. But would there be anyone this morning that might say by an uplifted hand, I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure that heaven's my home. I have some doubts, but I would like to be sure. I just want to pray for you. If there's anyone like that that says, I'm not sure, but I would like to be sure about heaven. Would you mind just slipping your hand up and right back down so I can pray for you? Just between you and me and God the Father. Anybody like that today that would just slip their hand up and say, I'm not sure I'm saved. Christian, believer, where is your heart? Is it on the things of God? Are you spending your thought life on things of this earth or on the things of heaven? Are you, in, are you doing the things that you know will make an eternal difference or are you fading? And, and you can tell where your heart is because maybe your treasure's in the wrong place. If you don't have a desire for the things of God and you don't have a desire for the Lord in church, if you don't have a desire to obey his word, if, if you find yourself running to sin instead of running to God, if church is a hassle that you just have to put up with, then may I challenge you to look at your treasure today. Where's your time being spent? Where's your money going? Where are you applying your energy? Friend, if you redirect it, you'll find your heart follows it. Oh, there's a much higher life that Jesus calls us to. We're called to set our affection on things above, and you will never regret it. One moment into eternity, you will never regret turning down these fading, expiring, corruptible things on this earth for the things of heaven. But we must make the decision now so that we are laying up treasures in heaven. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would you be willing to say, just before the Lord, and say, Father, I am going to store up treasures in heaven so that my heart follows them. Would there be anybody here with an uplifted hand say, that's me, I'm storing up treasures in heaven. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? That's my plan, Lord. Help me. Help me to, to do that. Amen. The Lord sees your hands. My hand's raised with you, friend. That's what I want. That's what I want. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. Some people will be praying right there in their seats about what God has spoken to them about. Perhaps you'd like to come forward and use this place up front as, a, as an altar, as a place of prayer to bear your heart before the Lord, to ask Him to help you set your affections in the right places. Or if you've never trusted Christ as Savior or never followed the Lord in believer's baptism since you've been saved or you want to put your life and influence in this church as a member, I'll be down here in front. Just slip out of your seat. Come and let me know and say, Pastor, I'd like to be saved, or I'd like to start the process to get baptized, or I'd like to join the church. Or, Pastor, just come pray with me. Whatever it is, let us say yes to the Lord in this hour. Father, please work in hearts as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.